to open your Bibles to uh, Titus chapter 1. We've been in this, uh, we started this several weeks ago. I believe this is the, I believe, fifth, fifth sermon we've had. It's got four verses and it's so rich, it's so deep. And so what I want to do for the first half of, of our uh, study today is just kind of review We've been exposed to a lot of truth over the last several weeks. And one of the things that we want to do is just really make sure when we get through a text, we know what it says. We know what it says. And our goal for you as, as the, the people that attend Grace is if, that you also will be able to teach this to someone else, family, friends, kids, whatever, whatever it may be. That's, that's our goal. And I want to share a verse with you, and I'm going to come back to this verse two or three times during, during the sermon. It's, uh, you don't, don't turn there, but it's located in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It says, be imitators of me. This is Paul talking. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul was just a man. He was just a man. Now, he was a few more things, more than what we will ever be. He was an apostle chosen by Christ himself. That's never going to happen to us. He was, things he said was, was actually scripture. That's not going to happen with us. We can't ever do that. But other than that, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so as we conclude this first section in Titus, we're going to get this greeting and salutation from Paul and this was a personal letter to Titus, but it, but it was meant to be read to the people. They should understand this, and this is to be obeyed. So we're going to do a little review to catch us up. We've been away from this for several weeks. We've had two weeks of other things, Christmas and, and other things that have gone on. This, Paul was on the island of Crete, and this island, it's a large island. It's about 160 miles long. It's about, I don't know, 35 miles wide at its, at its uh, widest point. And it was a major stopping point, you know, for ships that were traveling from one destination to another. It was a major stopping, uh, stopping point. So there was a constant influx of people coming in and out. I kind of equate it kind of like Disneyland. You go to Disneyland, there is literally thousands and thousands of people. And there's a few people that work there that you see. But for the most part, there's just an influx of people coming in and out. Well, that's kind of what it was on Crete. And even the folks that live there, they really didn't have a great reputation. One of their, their own prophets said this about them, said they're liars. Now think about that. The people that live on this island are liars. They are evil beasts and they're lazy gluttons. So we know on this island, there are uh, many, many cities. We don't know how many. We just know it's a lot. An ancient writer said that, that, that Crete is an island of 100 cities. So we know there's a lot. Probably the, get, the best estimation as far as population on this island, probably about a million a uh, million people. It was a very busy place. And one of the things I asked myself as I was studying this, if it's got a hundred plus cities, how many churches was actually on the island of Crete? 
Well, we only know what we know. The Bible does not say that. It doesn't say how many churches that were there. But in verse 5 of Titus, and Titus, uh, it says, Titus is to appoint elders in every town. So I believe it's safe to say there were abundance of, chur of churches. Now think about this on the redemption timeline of when this was written. It was written around between 62 and 64 A.D., that wasn't long after, you know, not in all reality, not long after uh, Acts, we see when, when Peter is preaching, we know that in the audience there are, what, Cretans. More than likely, these Cretans went back to the island, island, and I believe probably that's how some of these churches, churches started. So, now Grace Bible Church, we are down the redemption timeline, just a few few more years, about 2,000 years. But we, we have the same Word of God. We have the same Word of God that those on the island of, of Crete had. So they were to adhere to it. And as our go here at Grace Bible Church, that's exactly what we want to do. This is the blueprint. This is the blueprint. This is what we, we must follow. Titus is to, to set it straight. So you know if you're going to set something straight, there's got to be some a little crookedness somewhere. So he's got a task to get things in order, to set straight. And as we proceed through Titus, we're going to see this beautiful plan of how the government of the church is supposed to be, how the men are supposed to be, how the women are supposed to be, how the young men are supposed to be, how the young women are supposed to be. So it's going to take out all the guesswork. So Titus is going to hit every one of us straight between the eyes. So, so let's do a little review. Paul is the author. Uh, prior to Paul's conversion, he was a Pharisee. He was very zealous for God. He loved God with all his heart. But one thing, he didn't know God at all. He didn't know him at all. Jesus revealed himself to Saul on the road to Damascus. But God's plan for Saul did not start on that day, the Bible says. Actually, Paul was set aside while he was still in his mother's womb. That's very interesting to me. I want you to know that this is... A very long reading and a very short letter. He wasn't telling Titus things that Titus didn't already know, but it was affirming who Titus was. But more, but more so, it was letting the people in Crete know uh, also who Titus was. So let's read these first four verses in in Titus to just to kind of uh, review, and we'll work our way to to verse four that we haven't covered yet. Paul, a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the full knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which the God who cannot lie promised from all eternity, but at the proper time manifested in his word and preaching with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior, to Titus. My genuine child, according to our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. You will notice here in verse 1, Paul was a committed slave to his master. He was also committed to the mission. He's committed to the message. In just a few minutes, we're going to see Paul's commitment not only to Titus, but if you look at Titus, I mean Paul's life, he's committed to, to so many more. He was, he was God's slave, which means he was, 
He was solely existed to do the will of his master, chosen by Christ himself. Interesting. Uh, Christ saves Paul. Paul, everything Paul learned did not come from the apostles, but came from Christ himself, who died, who was resurrected. I would, I would love to have been there to see how that took place, because we know he saw Christ. He had to, to be an apostle. But Christ disciples Paul for three years. Pretty neat. Well, I'd love to have been there. You have to remember that the first century church, uh, the Jewish people had issues with Gentiles. And Paul was a, he was chosen for a purpose, right? He was going to be the one who brings the gospel to the nations, which means everybody who wasn't a Jew. And, and in the, for the first century church, the Jewish people had issues with Gentiles, especially being a part of being part as the same covenant people that they were. And if you look out in many of the books of the, the New Testaments, you're going to notice there are Jews that, that accept the Messiah. They would, they would agree with the death, burial, and resurrection, but, but they try to mix in the old covenant. Mainly you'll see, you, mainly you can be a Christian, but you must be, they say this, you must be circumcised. You also must keep the rituals of the old covenant. They're called Judaizers. They also show up here in the church of Crete. And one thing Paul knew for sure, when the truth is taught, it doesn't take very long that you're going to see error come. So as they, as Paul and Titus, they go through Crete and then he leaves Titus there. You know, there's, there's things that are, that are already happening. Also in other churches where Paul would come in and, and teach. And soon as he just kind of stepped out of that door, it doesn't take long. He's not out the door before they're coming in. And not only are they coming in, they're raising up with them. Acts 2, 28, 20, verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and, the, and the, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We see that word we're going to talk about in the future. Overseer, pastor, bishop, all the same word. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And this is interesting. And from your own selves will arise men within, within the, the, the group of believe, quote-unquote believers will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. In verse 1, we see this. Uh, and, and, and John talked about this. It says, for the faith of God's elect. Now, when we say that, we talk about faith. It's really two things. Uh, when you were saved, what did you do, Cindy? You exercised faith, right? Jeff, hopefully. Faith. You exercised your faith. That, that's an element of faith. And that faith that you exercised and committed to, that faith can grow. That faith can grow. So there's, there's two things about faith. It's, it's that, but it also pertains to the Scripture. What we see in Scripture, the doctrine, the faith. It says in Jude 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you 
to contend. That word means to fight like a soldier. Contend for the faith. That's a different, that's a different definition there. The faith that continually goes on and is revealed over time. That, no, no. That was once for all delivered to the saints. Where certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says this, so when he says for the faith of God's elect, which one is he referring to? Is it the faith that we have when we believe in Christ and who he is? Or is it the scripture? Is it that was once delivered to the saints? And anytime I ask a crazy question like that, you know what the answer is, right? It's always yes. It's always yes. Man has faith. We all have faith, by the way. I don't care who you are. When you're old enough to decide something, you have faith. When, when Josh, if you drove, I don't know if you drove or not, but if you drove to church today, you exercise faith because you're driving in the city of Covenant. It can get a little crazy around here. You go out and eat. What do you do? You've been to McDonald's? You exercise faith. You've been to the Chinese buffet? <laughs> you exercise faith. <laughs> So it, it's different, right? We went to um, Grand Canyon this past summer. You know what we did? We got in a metal tube. They had these big engines on it. And that metal tube took us 38,000 feet up in the air. We exercised great faith in that plane and the pilot, by the way. We're not talking about that. A lost person does not have that faith. A, a person has faith. He makes decisions. He exercises every day. That's not what we're talking about. And Paul knows that. For the faith of God's elect, which means this is an evangelistic letter. There's a lot of people on the island. This church, they got to know right. They got to live right. They got to evangelize because people need to have faith. And once they have faith, they are, they're devoted to the faith once and all delivered to the saint. But someone, and this is, I'm going to deviate just a hair. For someone, because we need to know this. We only meet once a week right now. We're starting Sunday school next week. We're excited about that. We'll to go, we get to go into the teaching just a hair more. But let me just, let me just, just to let you know, to put just in your toolbox uh, concerning faith, because you need to know this. Look at Ephesians, just turn to, I'll tell you, I think I got it on the screen. Go to Ephesians 2, just look on the screen here. I'm going to read that. This is good to know, by the way. It says, And when you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And when it says dead right there, if you look that up in the Greek, or anything, dead is dead. Jeff might have drove to uh, drove here today, and he noticed as he came, drove through Covington, and there's an armadillo on the side of the road. Poor rascal, he's been dead for days now, and Jeff feels sorry for the feels sorry for the armadillo. So been dead for three or four days. So he gets a stick, he goes up to the armadillo, and he pokes it. And it gets up and starts running away. No, it doesn't. It's dead. <laughs> it can, dead means you cannot respond to stimuli. 
So, before Christ, you were dead. Dead people do nothing spiritually. If the connection's gone, you're spiritually dead. Is that the next verse? Verse 8. Am I at verse 8? I guess I am. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should walk of them, walk in them. So just a just a very quick Greek grammar lesson, just 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 carrying on the fact that that man needs faith. Uh, on the Isle of Crete, this letter is evangelistic. They're to reach people in the, in on the island of Crete, but also devoted to the doctrines of the faith. It helps you to realize that how powerful the Word of God is, and really that's the agent that brings us to life. But I want you to notice something. This is just kind of a Greek grammar group. Greek grammar. It says you were, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this. Some of your translations could say that. Same word. And that is not your own doing. That is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that anybody, so that uh, no one may boast. You're not going to get this. Because it's, it's, I, you know, some of y'all didn't know this, but I, I graduated. I went to school with a lot of you guys. I graduated 10th in my class. Do you know that, Grayson? 10th in my class. Granted, it was from the bottom, but I graduated 10th in my class. I'm not very bright, so, but you can learn, right? You can learn as you study. So, whatever and this is, that's what the gift is. Many people use this verse to say that faith is not referring to faith here because if, if, if it's called a demonstrative pronoun, actually, and that and this, if it's a demonstrative pronoun, what it does, it is pointing to something very specifically, very specifically. And for it to point, it has to match in gender and number. When we say gender, we mean uh, 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 neuter, feminine, masculine, and it has to also match in number. And so guess what? These people are 100% right. Faith does not match in gender and number in the Greek grammar. So we know that that's not the gift. That's what they would say. So that, therefore, it must be, po be pointing to salvation or saved. Unfortunately, guess what? Doesn't match either. Hmm. Now we're figuring it out a little bit. So it must be grace. Grace is the gift of God. Guess what? Guess what? Does it match in gender and number? So there's a Greek grammar rule. When, when the demonstrative pronoun is not matching with anything, it's, it's referring to the whole phrase. So basically, what is that saying? You're saved by grace. That's not of you. It's not of you. It's not of works. You're saved by grace. Uh, and none of that comes from you. It's a gift of God. So we all need, we all need faith. We all need faith. Did y'all get that? Demonstrative pronoun neuter. Did you know that, Josh? You probably knew. You're a pretty smart guy. You probably knew that already. 
So this is what Paul is doing, right? 2 Timothy 2.8 says, Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as he preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And this next part really goes with verse 1, kind of, of what we've been talking about. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And that just simply means chosen. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of God's elect, that they may also, future tense, right, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So this faith that we have to believe is a faith that grows. The, the more we know about Scripture, the more our faith grows. I, I sent uh, John and Blake a sermon, I think it was last week, and I said, if you listen to the sermon and your faith doesn't grow, it says you need to get saved. So this faith is a, a growing faith. There's an entry level to it, and there's a growing process. That verse 1 says, For the faith of God's elect and full knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. No one is saved without the knowledge of the truth. My, pe my personal testimony, those who know me, and some of you did, prior to my conversion was very brutal. God saved me. It was amazing at what he did in my life. My testimony will save no one. Me living a good life. And these, these, these churches in Crete, this really kind of is what it's talking about. You're saved. You, you believe rightly. You live rightly. And when you live rightly, what that does is open a door to evangelism. But my living rightly is not going to save. Now, it's good. I should do that. But it's not going to save anybody. So they need to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God... In 1 Timothy 2, 3, it says, This is good and pleasing in the sight of our God, of our God and Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to what? To the knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 2, 4, And the Lord's servant must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps perhaps grant them repentance. We also see another story. It all comes from the Lord. What does it do? Leading to a knowledge of the truth. Saving truth leads through salvation to sanctification and it produces increasing godliness without which salvation cannot be considered genuine at all. In other words, this faith will always produce, as it, like it says in, in James, we can't obey God's will if we do not know what it is. We cannot be godly if we don't know what God is like and what he expects of those who belong to him. Verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God who, who cannot lie promised from all eternity. If you really understand what this verse is saying, and Blake, Blake did such a good job on laying that out, you only can do one thing. Fall on your knees and worship the Lord. It's, it's so massive. And we see this word, Anytime you see these words like hope in, in Scripture, we, we look at that and we think there's some movement with that. Well, in our English language, there is some movement with the word hope, but not in Scripture. I don't know if you know this, but in the last five years, I've lost some hair. I hope I don't lose any more. 
I might. So there's the movement right there. Next year, I hope the Tennessee Vols win the national championship. I hope they do. <laughs> Requires a lot of faith, my friend. Probably not going to happen, but I hope they do. So there's some movement. But when we see the hope of eternal life, it's a done deal. You know why? Because God can't lie. Yeah, that's something God can't do. He can't lie. He promised this from all eternity, before the ages. This has been determined before the ages. Before creation, before time, before space, before matter, there was a promise. And if, there, if, if that promise was before the ages, before any of us was here, you may ask, well, who was the promise to? How could you make a promise? If you were, this is actually happens in our household. If you're at our house and I kind of got my computer in the other room, I bring it home sometimes to work and I'm in there retouching. Cindy's in there cooking supper and I'm retouching and I'm retouching this, this family or this man or girl. And I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going to make them look like they want to look. You know, I'm retouching and Cindy's in there cooking supper. She says, who are you talking to? Nobody. Yes, you were. I heard you. Who are you talking to? Cindy, I'm not talking to anybody. Phil, I heard you talking. I said, okay, I was talking to myself. I'm crazy, right? But if I said this, if I'm in there working and I said, I promise, now I'm talking to someone. And there's this promise, this new covenant that that was determined and promised to before the ages. And because we have, because we have the totality of scripture and Blake laid it out so good, we got the full picture. Two things happened before time began that we know of. The lamb was slain and God has a people. John 17, John 6, Romans 8 through 11, Ephesians. Revelation, we see that this covenant that was made was made in the Godhead and it's going to take place. Unbelievable. Let the proper time manifested his word in preaching with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of a God our Savior. The only source of truth, the one true message about God, the only way of finding him, the only way of pleasing him, and the only way and the only hope of being forever with him are manifested in his word. Paul was God's slave. He was committed to God. He was committed to the mission. He was committed to the message. And he's committed to Titus. And you might see as you read this, I don't see where that's saying how Paul was committed to Titus. I mean, he's just a recipient of a letter. See, Titus has a monumental responsibility. How can Paul give him this massive task of setting things straight and appointing elders and, and, and dealing with all these things that need to be done? Here's why. Paul had invested his life in Titus along with so many other people Paul poured his life into. Several months ago, my mother died. And I remember I'm sitting up there and 
you know, receiving people and, and they would come down that aisle. Some of these people I haven't seen in 25 or 30 years. And as they come around that corner and come down the aisle, memories just flood my mind. Uncle Donnelly, Stanley, and these people who I grew up with, many of these people molding my life. Many of these people, like many of you here today, who, who poured into my life and invested in me and molded me into who I, who I am. That's exactly what Paul did to, to Titus. He invested his life into him. Remember I said, Paul was not a superhero man. He's not doing anything else that we're not called to do. Paul is just a man. He's just a committed man. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And how was Christ going to change the world? It's amazing. He chose 12 men. When he went around, he didn't neglect the crowds at all. He ministered to the crowds. But notice what he did. He, he, went, he went off and he poured himself into men and, and women also. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing with Titus. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, When you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So Paul entrusted Titus with this monumental task. He pours his life into them. And we need to note something. And I, I kind of get this. I was joking with John the other day. Uh, last week, actually, when we were here, John likes to watch movies. So when he's preaching, he's, he's always going to pull probably from a movie. Most time it's a crazy karate kid movie. That's not any good. But he loves it. So he pulls things from that. So I want to kind of pull this next point from using John as an inspiration. Okay. Paul is not the Lone Ranger. Some of you, probably Josh, he's too young, don't know who the Long Ranger is, right? Jeff, do you know who the Long Ranger back in the day? He, Tondo would show up every blue moon. But for the most part, uh, he was the Lone Ranger. Paul was not that. He was not that. You're not a one-man show. Paul knows that. He is constantly pouring his life into people, reproducing himself, giving them responsibilities. And what do they do? They keep that process going over and over. Look at, uh, just turn real quickly. We're not going to read it. Just flip over to Romans 16 real quick. Romans 16. And I just want you to observe those first, just look at them. Just scan those first 16 verses. I didn't count it. It's upwards of between 17 and 20 people just in Romans 16 that, that Paul addresses that, that has crossed his path that he's poured his life into and done ministry with. And if you look at the totality of Scripture and you do the addition, upwards of 50 people Paul does ministry with. He's not the Lone Ranger. Right there in verse 1 you see Phoebe. She was a servant of the church. That word servant. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, Blake? Here in a what, a few weeks as we talk about ch church government 
and how that is supposed to work with elders and we see deacons and we see, we see Phoebe here and the word servant. Same word, deacon. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. It's going to be good. Uh, she delivers this letter to Rome. There was no Facebook, no email, no Twitter. Hey, she was a devoted slave. She, was, she served the church and she worked with Paul. Uh, he wasn't alone. Right there in that next verse, I think you see, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. It says Prissa. But Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks. Paul first met this couple on his first visit in Corinth. More than likely, his first encounter was probably done in a synagogue. Uh, in a synagogue, they would, the women would sit here. But interesting, I didn't know this until I studied, that on another side, the, the men would sit, but they would sit in how they, how they worked. So we'd have state troopers over here, okay? We'd have uh, engineers right behind them. Then we'd have photographers. And Josh, what do you call yourself? What's that called? Anest anesthesiologist. Don't try. Don't try. <laughs> don't, don't, don't butcher it. Hey, photographers, hey, we've got a section over here. So that's how they would do it. So probably he met Priscilla and Aquila in the synagogue, right? They were fellow, what, tent makers. They were tent makers. Priscilla and Aquila made tents. Guess what? Paul made tents also. Paul took no money. It's interesting. We look at all of what Paul does. He didn't get a paycheck. He, he worked. He paid his bills. When he went to Walmart to buy his stuff, it wasn't because the church of Corinth sent him money. He worked. He provided for himself. He didn't take any money whatsoever. And I just look at that, and a lot of times when it comes to ministry, what do we do? We work, and then, and then what do we say? We don't have time to do these other things. Well, Paul did it. Paul did it. How, did he, how could Paul do that? Because he was a slave. He knew. He was committed to God. So, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Titus was a genuine Gentile. Gentile. He's mentioned 13 times in the New Testament in this letter, along with Galatians 2, 2 Timothy, and many other, and in uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it was nine times. As a Gentile, Titus would have been particularly effective in combating the heresy of the Judaizers. The Judaizers insisted that, that all Christians were bound by the Mosaic law. Usually the Judaizers honed in on circumcision. Gentiles must be circumcised. They can be God's people, but they must be circumcised and they must adhere to the Mosaic law in order to be saved. I'm not going to read it, but Paul takes Titus to Jerusalem. You remember that the Jerusalem council, he took counsel, he took Titus as exhibit A. We have a, a Gentile obviously saved and full, full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, of, uh, it says in, a, in, a, in Galatians 2, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So we see Paul using Titus as a den child to be included in the family of God without circumcision, without keeping the law. Titus is mentioned most pertaining to the church in Corinth. They had a lot of issues. A lot of issues. If you read 
First and Second Corinthians, they had a lot of issue. And, and Titus was going to be a very important mediator. He was going to be boots on the ground in the church of Corinth. So Titus engaged with the Corinthians, assessing their response to Paul's letter. Because Paul sent in these letters of correction, communicate, and he would communicate back with Paul uh, about what was going on. And there was a lot of fruit from that. You can write this down in your notes. But uh, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, if you start with verse 5 and go through 9, but Titus, you know, he's reporting back to uh, Paul about what's what's going on. Verse 6 says, But God who comforts that the downcast comforted us by, by the coming of Titus. Verse 9 says, As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved. This is talking about the Corinthians. Not because you were grieved, because you were grieved into repenting, you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss with us. So Paul, dealing with the Corinthians, with Titus, who is very influential and God's go-to man to work with the church that had all these issues, was successful and it produced repentance. And he's going to creep. He ain't got those same issues, but there's some things that's got to be done. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith. Common faith. Most of you already know this. Paul never got married. He never had any children. But he calls Titus my true child. Though we don't see the exact time when Titus was saved, I think it's safe to say that Paul is the one that led him to Christ. He says, my true child. We see that same language in First and Second Timothy. First uh, Timothy once says, "Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith." Second Timothy two, to Timothy, my beloved child. The word "true" here in the Greek has the basic meaning of being lawfully begotten. Child here translates the word technon, which is used of a legitimate child. That's in contrast to a child that's born out of wedlock. So when you put these two words together, what that does is intensifies Paul's statement of his relationship to Titus in its fullest sense. If I said Grayson, Grayson, she's my, my daughter. But if I said Grayson is my true daughter. That carries a little bit more intensity. And those, those churches at Crete needed to know that. Titus was his true child. That lets them know that Titus represents Paul. Titus is an extension of Paul himself. They were to listen to him because as we continue through this letter, we're going to hear about other sons who were not sons of the faith. They were, they were opposing the true gospel. And I would just like to weave in a little application here when we talk about children. Do we have any spiritual children? We should. From a physical viewpoint, a child has to, a birth has to take place. From a spiritual aspect, if someone is lost and dead in sin, they must be born again. That birth will never take place apart from withholding the gospel from them. Jimmy said that last week, said, how much do we have to dislike someone 
to withhold the only thing that can save them from hell and the wrath of God. Paul knew that. He knew that. He was obligated, as, as Romans 1.14 said. He also said in, in 1.16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So to be a part of this common faith, these believers, this family, they must hear and believe the gospel. True child and common faith. This is what binds us together. If you're in Christ, you believed, you had faith, and that's something that we all have in common, is our that faith that we talk about, the Scripture. It happens fairly quickly in Acts 2. Uh, 42, it says, and they, this is the early church. This is the first thing we taught on uh, at Grace Bible Church, by the way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wondrous signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Paul was a Jew. Titus was a Greek. Paul was circumcised. Titus was not. They had different backgrounds. They came from different ethnic groups, but they had a common faith. They were in the family of God. And Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This common faith is what we share. It's what we believe. This is the faith once and all delivered to the saints. It's God's word. And we have to adhere to it. More than one occasion, I've had people come down my driveway. I think of two ladies specifically as I was working in the yard. I probably told you the story and I won't go in depth. But I asked the two ladies, I said, what are you, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we're out witnessing. We're witnessing for Jehovah. I said, well, praise the Lord. I love Jehovah. I love to witness for Jehovah. Tell me about Jehovah. And so they did. So I listened to their, their, their prepared speech. And so I took their Bible and used their own Bible to show them the errors of the ways. And I told them, we serve a different Jehovah. We don't have a common faith. We do not. Talking to a man... He got killed, by the way. You'll probably know him. He owned a service station down here, or a store. He was a Muslim. I walked in one day and began this conversation. I heard him talking in Aramaic. I says, so I am, I said, you talk Aramaic? He said, I do. I said, say my name. So he said my name in Aramaic. He even wrote it out on a piece of paper. And uh, I said, tell me a sentence in Aramaic. And so he does. And so I engage in the conversation. I know he's a Muslim. And so I began to share Christ with him. And he cut me off. He says, you and I, we serve the same God. I said, is your God Jesus and is he eternal? Oh, no, he's just God's son. God will never kill his son. I said, we don't serve the same God. And was able to continue that conversation. Blake and I talked to, I don't know if you remember this, I got the, I was down on the field and Blake was sitting up in the stands and I was talking to this guy and it didn't take long for me to realize I was talking to a Mormon. And so I text, and I, Blake's had a history with that, going to Utah quite often. So I text the, Blake says, you need to come down here. <laughs> and so we're talking to this guy 
And you know what this guy believes? He believes in Jesus. He believes in the death, a burial. He believes in the resurrection of Jesus. But we don't serve the same God. See, his God, his Jesus, is one amongst millions and billions. And if this guy just lives right and obeys the teachings of the morning church, one day, two, he will be a God. That's not a common faith. That's not a common faith. And we have to guard that. We have to guard that. Not only from outside, but from inside. As we go, it's just going to get worse and worse. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, this is a big verse, okay? Big verse. You have to think about this verse. We, we read it, we just don't apply it. When it comes to ministry, I'm just telling you. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not, 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's with marriage, but that entails so much more. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with, with Baal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. Therefore, we should not either. So we need to be very careful and guard this faith and be careful who we what partner with. Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Grace is the wondrous gift of God that brings salvation, peace. And peace is the wondrous blessing that it bestows on those who he graciously saves. Grace is a gift. It's not something that God owes anybody. The world does experience God's grace. We know that because they're not immediately wiped off the planet. So there is grace there even for the unbeliever. But grace is... Grace is a gift. Great. We're saved by grace. But this, this salvation by grace never stops at salvation. It never stops at salvation. As we get to Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodly... Let me read that again. For the grace of God has appeared, and he did, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So this grace that saves, it continues, and it goes on through the life of the believer. From God's grace flows peace. Contrary to what many say, we're not all born children of God. We're born sinners. The Bible says we're actually at enmity with God. We're not in this family. His wrath is on Everyone who's not in Christ. You don't have God's peace outside of Christ, outside of God. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this grace and peace, we can have comfort in any situation that we go through. Titus knows this. Timothy knows this also. And what is the source of this great truth that comes from God? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. If you got Titus open, look it back at verse 3. This is incredible. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of who? God our Savior. 
Interesting. There's one God, and in the next text we see two persons. And on the surface, it appears like there's a mistake. Is the Father the Savior, or is Christ the Savior? Yes. And you'll see time and time in Scripture that God is mentioned as Savior, and that's not speaking of Jesus. And then you'll see Jesus is mentioned as Savior. And what this is doing, actually, it is... is Showing the deity of the Godhead, the the deity of Christ. And that's something that's going to be attacked over and over again. I'm not going to read it. You can throw it up on the screen. Uh, John 8, if you begin with 53 and go through, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. They believe he is uh, a son of the devil, right? He says he's God. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, speaking to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones and they tried to kill him because he tried to make himself to be God. That's exactly what they were doing. So as we see, coming up in Titus, and I'm closing, the Judaizers of the circumcision party will be upsetting whole families by their teaching. The Judaizers would agree that Jesus is the Messiah. He died, he rose again on the third day. That sounds like a common faith. And the devil's real sneaky, how he words things. And I was reading, uh, Blake and I were looking at a cult's translation the other day on how sneaky they do the words. God, God's got a plan, but Satan's got a plan also. But they are going to try to bring in some, some false teaching. And, and Paul tells Titus, they must be silenced. So at Grace Church, we want to guard this faith. As time goes, the faith is going to be attacked more and more. There's going to be people outside. There's going to be people with, within the church twisting the word to make it relevant, to tickle the ear of the listener. And we've got, we've got to guard that. We've got to guard that. There's a church today, quote-unquote church. I looked it up. has 1.3 Billion members. This church does. Big church. The headquarters is in Rome. And this is in their canon. This is their belief system. It's found in Canon 9 in the Council of Trent. I'm going to not read all of it. But this is interesting. It's got a lot more canon scriptures that state this also. If someone believes that he is justified by faith alone, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. Let, this, let them be damned. And this is a church with almost 1.5 billion people in it. We have to guard the faith. Contend for the faith. And Titus is going to do that. He's going, to, he's going in. He's straightening some things out. Teaching right doctrine. And that doctrine that we know. You know you can't. I get, I get so tired of hearing people say, be better, just do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Be better, be better, make right decisions. We don't know what to do if we don't hear it from the Word of God. Everything is, in order to live rightly, we've got to know what God says. So we, in order for us to live right here at Grace Bible Church, in our community, we're devoted to the Scripture. And by God's grace, we'll try to live this out. 
So in closing, how do we apply what we learned today? Is your life marked by the process of birthing children? How many offspring do you have? How many spiritual children do you have? You, sh you should be always sharing the gospel so that God, we know God controls the birth, but we know that they're not going to be saved apart from you sharing the gospel. And when you share the gospel, when, Paul's, when Paul shares the gospel with Timothy and with Titus, he doesn't do this. A visual real quick. When Cindy and I had Skylar, our first baby boy, we got on Facebook. We got a baby boy. We got another one. Another one's in the family. Praise the Lord. Look, we got another addition to the Ramsey family. It's a parable, by the way. So we, we, bring, we bring Skylar home. We set him on the kitchen table. We get back on Facebook again. We got another one. We got another member of the family. God is good. Son, there's some food. Go eat. We got another one. We're growing as a family. And we neglect our son. We wouldn't be good parents, would we? Likewise, when, when we experience salvation within our church, what do we do? We take our babies under our wings. And we train and teach. And we tell, and Paul tells Titus, I'm leaving you here. But Titus is not going to stay there. He's going to be, somebody's coming in right after him. That's what we need to do. Last point of application. Anyway, responsibility. Got to share the gospel. And why the churches are in the, the, the situations that they are now is there's no discipleship. There's a lot of, quote unquote, we got another one in the family, but this baby has no clue what he believes, and therefore he knows how to live. But he's constantly being told, just be better, be better. You can't be better without God's word. And are you in the faith? Do you have a common faith as Paul and Titus? To do that, you must be born again. You must be perfect to go to heaven. To have a common faith as Paul and Titus, you have to be in Christ. To have this common faith, you have to be perfect. You, you have to be perfect. If you're going to get in this faith that they have, you got to be perfect. But you can't do it. Christ did. He came. He lived a life that we couldn't live. And for those who believe, he goes to the cross as the righteous God-man. He dies. Feel sin placed on him. God's wrath is poured out on Christ. That should have been me right there. And he died in my place. And in time, thousands of years later, when somebody shared the gospel with me and I believed God took that righteousness and gave it to me as though I lived his life and became a member of his body. One with a common faith with everybody else who's trusted Christ. So if you have not done that, I'm not asking you to do it, by the way. I'm never going to ask you to do something God commands us to do. Repent. Turn from your sins and trust Christ. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. 
I thank you for those present today. I pray that uh, the word that was heard today, that we will let it sing into our hearts. We'll let it mold us into more of your image and, and just realize that, no, we're not Paul. But we are to imitate Paul. We should never give excuses with our lives. We should, we should follow you as God's slave in obedience. And by your grace, through the power of the word of God that saves people, we're praying that, that people are birthed into your family. And we're asking you to do that here. And we're committed to, to pour our lives into these these children, just like you poured your lives into, uh, just like uh, Paul poured his life into to Timothy and to Titus and so many others. Well, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for all you've done in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.